0: Life is full of awesome what ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. True North True Crime is now available on Patreon. You can now listen to exclusive bonus episodes, early release episodes, and ad-free episodes by signing up at Patreon dot com slash tntc pod. This podcast contains graphic content
2: and may not be suitable for all listeners. Listener discretion is strongly advised.
0: True North True Crime is produced on the territories of the Coast Salish people.
1: Ryan's case is so ambiguous, in and, and there's not a lot of facts to go on. We know that he was at the house, and then we know that he wasn't. And that's all we really are able to, to come down to. And you're asking people for memories that, you know, they didn't know they had to recognize the moment because they didn't know it was going to be significant. And how many of us can recall things from either... You know, even 15 minutes ago, what somebody was wearing if they walked by you. I mean, we are, I think, narcissistic in our in ourselves that we don't recognize other people unless they play a part in this story that we're participating in at the moment. And so you're asking people to remember things uh, that they can't. And so the the recollection and the timeline is always going to be spotty. I don't know how you can refine it anymore. And we're still no closer uh, than we were february 17th right there's no more i mean there's things that we can certainly rule out but we are no closer to finding him
0: nestled in the mountains of british columbia is the alpine ski resort known as sun peaks people come to sun peaks from all around the world to play eat ski snowboard and rest and some well they come to work The early morning hours of February 17th, 2018 have been referred to as the perfect storm. Temperatures dropped to minus 26 degrees Celsius and over 20 centimeters of snow fell from the sky. A group of resort staff hunkered down in a house that night, drinking and socializing. People came and went, and the atmosphere was jovial. It was just another Friday night on the mountain, At around 1.30 a.m., a a 20-year-old man got up from his spot on the couch and vanished. No one saw him leave. No one said goodbye. To this day, his whereabouts remain a mystery. Tonight, we present the disappearance of Ryan Stuka. And you are listening to True North True Crime.
2: Welcome back to True North True Crime. Thanks for joining us. Before we get started tonight, we want to let you know about our new Patreon subscription platform. You can now join us over on Patreon. We have three tiers to offer you, depending on which tier you choose. Benefits include ad-free episodes, early releases, access to archived episodes, as well as bonus content. Last week, we featured a bonus episode on the Tawasin Double Murders from 1990, along with a debrief episode where we shared our thoughts in a more conversational style on the case. So join us over on Patreon for more of what you already love, more True North True Crime. True North True Crime is an independent podcast bringing attention to stories of missing people and victims of violent crime. We are a two-person team building these episodes from start to finish. We do take suggestions for episodes and prioritize cases that come directly from family members or close contacts of those cases. If you've got a case for us, feel free to reach out at TrueNorthTrueCrime@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Okay, let's get into tonight's episode.
0: So tonight we are talking about the 2018 disappearance of 20-year-old Ryan Stuka. Ryan was last seen in the mountain resort village of Sun Peaks in the early morning hours of February 17th, 2018. At the time of his disappearance, Ryan is described as 20 years old and 6 foot tall with a lean build. He has blonde hair, brown eyes, and weighs 180 pounds. He was last seen wearing dark jeans, a grey and white shirt, blue coat, and a burgundy ball cap, there is a $15,000 reward for information leading to the recovery of Ryan. If you have any information, please contact Kamloops RCMP or Crime Stoppers.
2: Ryan's case has been covered extensively in podcasts, news stories, television segments, YouTube videos, and even a documentary titled Peaks and Valleys, The Search for Ryan Stuka. This episode was researched using publicly available news articles and we were also lucky enough to speak at length with Ryan's mother, Heather. For those unaware, Heather Stuka is a missing persons advocate who has helped many families over the years. Heather, along with her husband Scott and their daughters, have spent days, months, and years searching and advocating for Ryan. We feel that Heather's insights will be incredibly helpful to our listeners we are super grateful to her that she took the time to speak with us due to heather's vast experience with ryan's case and her personal insights into families of missing people we will be choosing to defer to heather as much as possible in this episode
0: ryan stuka was born on st patrick's day or march 17th 1997 to his mom heather and his dad scott when ryan was in kindergarten the family moved from edmonton alberta to the nearby town of beaumont Beaumont is a former farming town which has grown into a small city with a population of about 20,000 residents. It's an idyllic place to raise a family. Heather shared with us about Ryan's early years and what she calls her imperfectly perfect family.
1: So, Ryan was uh, our firstborn. Um, Scott and I had been married two years, and then along came Ryan, all five pounds, 15 ounces of him. Very small, scrawny baby. Um, and, you know, we we were thrilled to have him. Uh, I, I think we thought we were going to have more children. I just, I, I think that we loved him so much we didn't realize that you could love a, another uh, child after that. So I think that we were hesitating for the longest time. And then, of course, you... You come to recognize that the more love you give, the more love you get back. And so uh, we had uh, our uh, oldest daughter, Jordan, and then eight years later, we had um, um, Juliana. So there's eight years difference between Ryan and our youngest, Juliana. Um, and so I, I think we had, you know, normal average life. Like I always say it was. Imperfectly perfect you know our children were imperfectly perfect we were imperfectly perfect it was just an average life we we lived uh, moved to um, Beaumont Alberta uh, from Edmonton so just a short short commute uh, when Ryan was just finished kindergarten so he was six years old and we were still in the same house that we've been in since uh, since uh, we moved here Uh, normal small town we coached the kids in their sports where I was huge into soccer, tried him uh, in hockey and he was not thrilled at that. And, but it's funny, he, he cried every can skate lesson for 45 minutes. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not putting you in this again. This is just horrendous, horrendous. It's such torture for me. Uh, and then it was funny because when he uh, was about 15, he was like, why didn't you stick with hockey because all of his friends were really into it at that point and I was like look I would have but I, I don't have the will or the temperament to at that time to uh to outlast you of my son so soccer was his thing and it was great because I was a soccer player and I loved playing soccer uh so soccer school uh anything that was a running sport Ryan was really into he was very athletic uh very loyal had the same group of friends since grade one we had no problems with Ryan growing up, but um, yeah, it was, I I wish I could say that there was defining moments except for the fact that, you know, we, we went to the lake every summer. We have a, a seasonal lake lot that's about 45 minutes away from from Beaumont and we spent summers out there, spent winters, we'd go visit my parents in Florida. Maybe, so maybe that's not so average for a lot of people, but um it was just a, an opportunity that we got to go and stay with my parents and so that's what we did. We did, we did little trips like that, and nothing really out of the ordinary while he was growing up.
2: After Ryan left high school, he found himself at the crossroads of adulthood. Many of us have been in the same boat. Should I go to post-secondary school? Learn a trade? Maybe both? Ryan came to this same crossroads. Physically, Ryan had grown from what Heather referred to as a scrawny baby As an adult, Ryan had grown into a six-foot-tall, 180-pound athletic young man with an infectious smile. We asked Heather what Ryan was like as a young adult. This can sometimes seem like an impossible question. After all, how do you define a life with just words?
1: You know, Ryan was was a great teenager. um, And as he was coming out of uh, high school, he had no idea what he wanted to do. He hung his friends were going off to to university or were working full time. He still didn't know what area he wanted to fall in, whether he was going to be somebody that worked in trades or he was going to be somebody that went to university or college. Uh, And so he wanted to explore all of those things um, and and then hung out with his friends. He loved uh, watching sports with Scott, certainly hockey. Uh, when, when he had any downtime and he worked for a year, he went to school for a year and then he decided on his 20th birthday that he wanted to try a winter in, um, Sun Peaks or in any ski resort, actually, just to, to try and, uh, do something a little bit more adventurous. But other than that, I think he was still introspective. He was the kind of young man that hung out with his friends, um, stayed at home, played on his um, Xbox, um, you know, probably typical. He played rugby, so he was still athletic, went to the gym every single day. Uh, Just, you know, nothing that that strikes you as anything outside of what what most young men would do, I guess.
0: In the two years after high school, Ryan spent some time in post-secondary school, and he also worked alongside his father, Scott, in the construction industry. It was actually a pretty great entry-level job where he made about $23 an hour. In 2017, Ryan surprised Heather and Scott by presenting the idea that he wanted to do a season working at a ski resort. While he was not a particularly adventurous person, and he didn't really have the travel bug, he did love snowboarding. And working at one of the many ski resorts in Canada would provide an opportunity to work and to play on a mountain.
1: I don't know what he expected when he was going. I think he wanted to try something new. And it was interesting because I, I did work for an airline. And so the ability to travel um, at reduced rates was, was always there. And the fact that we have family over in England was another opportunity for him to go and travel and see the world. But that actually, it wasn't something that really interested him. He wasn't sort of wanting to go and explore, which is, you know, Foreign to me because that would be something that I would love to have the opportunity to do and and to be given every advantage in order to do it. But that just wasn't him. And so when he said to me that he wanted, he was thinking about trying a a season at a ski resort. I thought, you know, how incredibly brave and courageous of him. Which it isn't, but for him it was definitely. uh, And but I don't know if he was just going. I, I think he wanted to to do snowboarding i don't think that he knew exactly what that was going to entail besides finding a job just and he had one before he went so he was not um going with with no plan um he had uh, his offer of employment and then he had his accommodation already set up before he was going so for him it, it, there was a certain amount of planning that went in uh, to go and do this and whatever he needed to uh, have while he was living in the house with the, his roommates, he had it all planned out. So yes, I think there was a certain amount of, of probably looking forward to something that was different. I just don't know if he had really thought what that was going to look like.
2: So it was decided in the winter of 2017, Ryan would adventure from the flat prairie land of Beaumont, Alberta, to Sun Peaks Resort located in the interior of British Columbia. Sun Peaks Resort is located 45 minutes north of Kamloops. With 4,270 acres of skiable terrain across three mountain peaks, Sun Peaks Resort is Canada's second largest ski area. The resort boasts 13 lifts and 137 trails. At the base of these mountains is the European style ski-through village of Sun Peaks, which is filled with quaint shops, Cafes and restaurants, perfect for apres-ski. While this may sound quite large or even cosmopolitan, Sun Peaks is actually a very small village-style resort. It is not built up in the more developed style of, let's say, Whistler Village or even Vail. In fact, the 55-kilometer distance between Sun Peaks and the nearest large city of Kamloops gives Sun Peaks a more remote feeling.
0: Every year, hundreds of people from all around the world flock to Sun Peaks for coveted service industry and ski hill jobs. Ryan secured a job with Sun Peaks Corporation, along with his lodging. Ryan was living in a staff accommodation near the village. In his house were five roommates. Ryan shared a tiny room with his high school friend James. While these staff accommodations are never ideal in these resort towns, this was not a deterrent for those who choose to work there. Most people are coming for the experience and the chance to ski or snowboard every day on one of the world's most celebrated ski mountains. The cabin was in an older part of Sun Peaks, near to the entrance of the resort. Ryan got a job as a lift operator, which is actually a job that I
2: myself have had at Mount Seymour in Vancouver. Shout out to anyone who's skied or snowboarded there. Uh, But this was no regular lifty job as he worked at Tube Time a super popular activity where people slide down a run on inflated inner tubes. This is the perfect winter activity for kids, families, and people looking to take a fun break from the athleticism and energy required to ski or snowboard sun peaks. Ryan's job requirements were pretty great too. He helped tubers up and down, making sure they had a safe and fun experience. His working hours were great too. He either worked 11 a.m. to 7 p.m. or 11.30 a.m. to 7.30 p.m. five days a week. This meant that he could snowboard all morning and then come down the mountain, throw on his work boots and work clothes, and start a shift at 11 a.m. This job is really great for people who prefer seasonal work, who want to come to Canada from all around the world. They get a free season's pass to the mountain, and if they want to bring friends up, those friends get a discount.
0: In the winter of 2017, into the spring of 2018, the minimum wage in British Columbia was 11.35. This is what Ryan was making on the hill. So clearly Ryan was about experiences. After all, he had just left a $23 an hour job to be there. Ryan quickly made an impression on his leadership team, too. They offered him a raise. However, he turned down the offer of extra money and extra responsibility. He was there to work, yes, but he was really there to snowboard. Ryan also made an impression on Sunpeak's guests. Shortly after Ryan's disappearance, a guest from the United States reached out to Heather about their experience with Ryan.
1: You know, and I was, we actually heard within the first couple of weeks uh, of Ryan being missing. um, We had someone send us a message and said that, you know, we're from the States. I think they were from the States. um, And that uh, they just heard about um, Ryan going missing. And it really affected them because they said that they actually met him when they were, uh, up with their children at in Sun Peaks. And so they said that Ryan was this this amazing kid that really looked after their children. And their one child was pretty, I, I think, nervous about going down on the tube by themselves. And so Ryan was up there and talking to them and um, getting them excited to go down and push them and didn't push them too fast, anything like that. And so they just wanted to, Uh, Scott and I to know that that was a memory that they had that he made an impression that they thought when he went missing that they they felt moved to to let us know and that sort of thing is I you know you're like an archaeologist always digging for for something of someone's past and that certainly is the case with Ryan Um, we we love hearing the stories about him but I think for us it was even more uh, poignant because I think we to have him go up there where we have no influence—it's not like the, that sort of memories or that information is going to get flowed down through us. But the fact that um, this uh, this family thought that Ryan was a pretty good kid when he was out and just tells you that what his character was like, I suppose it just solidified that for us.
2: Okay, so we're going to get into the timeline of the night of Ryan going missing. Now, piecing together this timeline of when and how Ryan went missing has been a challenge. The absence of clues and strong witness testimony has been referred to as the perfect storm. So on Friday, February 16th, 2018, Ryan headed out onto the mountain for a morning of snowboarding before his 11 a.m. shift at tube time. He texted his father and bragged that it was his 36th day in a row riding the mountain. In fact, he had just landed his first backflip. Ryan worked his normal shift that day and got off around 7 p.m.
1: I know that Ryan worked uh, on the Friday, and it was the 16th, so he would have gotten paid, I think, the day before, went to work that day. Normal, normal shift. Uh, There was nothing really out of the ordinary. I do know that he went to the ATM during his uh, lunch break and took out money for the weekend apparently my son was quite frugal, uh, and didn't like to, if he was going out to, well, they're not bars because up in Sun Peaks, they don't really have bars. They're just restaurants that, um, that will, you'll have people stay after night. And I know that there was a dance going on, but it's not traditionally bars where they have dance floors. Um, and so they serve as restaurants until a little bit later, and then they they shut it down. And not every uh, no one under the age of nineteen is loud enough. After I think ten p.m., so then it becomes more of an adult uh, venue. So, but Ryan did not like to spend money on his credit card or on his debit machine. He felt like he didn't have any control over how much he was spending. So he always liked to pay for cash. He paid everything for cash and took it enough money for that weekend. During that lunch break, he also um, went online, did his online banking, did his, uh, paid for rent, paid for, I think, his car loan and uh, paid credit card, phone bills, stuff like that. So just normal, average stuff, finished his shift and texted his roommate, James, and James is also his friend that he went up to Sun Peaks with, known him since he was about 14. So he texted James and said, I'm on my way home just to let him know. And Ryan never used his phone again uh, for the rest of the, uh, the time. So did not go into social media at all which is not strange for, for Ryan, he was always very much in the moment, not a social media person, whereas I'm like, you know, always up until that time taking, you know, selfies or taking pictures with people and posting it. Uh, I think Ryan may have gotten that one, right, where you want to stay presence with the people that you're with and not uh, necessarily having to capture the moments, but actually experiencing them. So he didn't go on social media, didn't go on Snap, didn't You know, nothing along that lines. And so uh, didn't text anybody, didn't make phone calls. So that was his last text that night about 7 o'clock saying he was on his way home.
0: On his way home, Ryan ran into a friend who needed a ride. Ryan had a car, which was rare amongst the staff on the mountain. With most of the employees coming from Australia, New Zealand, or Europe, they don't arrive in Sun Peaks with vehicles. Staff and guests rely on shuttle services or walking get around the village most things are about a 20-minute walk away if people need to get into the city of kamloops for any reason catching the shuttle is your only option besides carpooling with a friend there are no cabs ubers or lifts at sun peaks so
2: after dropping his friend off ryan went home and got ready for a night out with friends he had a shower he changed and he shotgunned some beers They were going to a silent disco that night. So there's a few bars in Sun Peaks. They're more like restaurants or pubs in the early hours, but then function as more of a nightclub uh, later in the evenings or on weekend nights. One of those that Ryan would frequent is called Massa's and the other is Bottoms. Bottoms is the venue that would host these silent discos.
1: Now, if anybody's familiar with silent discos, and I was not, um, apparently you walk in hand over your driver's license they give you a couple of headphones you um, have them and they have two or three channels I think of just music playing so the entire venue is quiet but you have headphones on and you're hearing music and you can be dancing to music and um, this uh, one particular restaurant up in Sun Peaks hosts that used to host them I think every couple of months and so Ryan I think this might have been his first uh, time going up so they went up To go um, attend the silent disco and at the time they weren't able to get into uh, Bottoms which was the the restaurant it was the lineup was was long and it was cold so what they did is just went over to the restaurant that's right next to it called Masses and they had a drink and they waited until they saw the line go down and then they headed over to Bottoms went there for the night, stayed there, had a great time. And that's actually where Ryan's last picture that we have that was taken. And it was taken by photographers that were just taking pictures throughout the venue. Uh, and, you know, I guess if you're going to have a uh, one last picture of your child, uh, to see him happy uh, with his friends, uh, with a smile on his face and a twinkle in his eyes, I suppose that uh, is, is a pretty... Um, A pretty powerful uh, picture, and it's certainly impacted us a lot. And it it gives us peace and comfort, I suppose, in some of our our, um, most challenging times.
0: By all accounts, Ryan had a great time at the Silent Disco, a party filled with 20-something seasonal workers dancing and socializing with their headphones on. During the night, Ryan spent his allotted money for the whole weekend, so he was clearly drinking quite a bit. And at one point in the evening, he took MDMA. MDMA is a common party drug that gives users a feeling of connection, energy, and euphoria. MDMA combined with alcohol can release high levels of dopamine and serotonin. This can actually cause the person to drink more than they usually would, as the brain subconsciously chases the dopamine high. Taken together, they can also affect a person's movement and coordination. While there are inherent problems associated with being disoriented, taking MDMA is something that thousands of people do um, around the world, and it is generally not associated with people going missing.
1: So they stayed there all night. I do believe uh, just from uh, our our accounting from friends that Ryan spent all of his money. So he had taken money out for two days and had spent it all. So uh, what that meant in terms of drinking, I'm not entirely sure. I do believe that also during that time he had taken some MDMA, uh, which I was not familiar with, I don't think, and I'm still really not that familiar with, um, but he, he – um, had experimented. I know he had done marijuana. It was uh, something that he had done at home. Well, not in our home. That was always a a sticking point because we have young children and it was not something that we necessarily condemned, but we certainly did not condone. Um, And so, uh, but to hear that he had done MDMA, you know, I I was uh, surprised. Uh, Did that, then they ended up walking, they handed in their um, headphones, got their driver's license and then headed down uh, to staff accommodations where Ryan's, uh, also his uh, house, rental house was.
2: So Ryan, along with a large group of friends, walked away from Bottoms and made their way to an after party at a house on Burfield Drive, a 15 minute walk from Ryan's home and about a 20 minute walk from the bar. There were three staff houses that rotated evenings where staff would gather until the wee hours of the morning to drink and socialize away from the resort guests. On this night, it was going to be at the Sunday Fun Day house. As the group of friends and colleagues made their way down the road, the temperature that night began to drop. At its worst that night, temperatures fell to minus 26 degrees Celsius and an uncharacteristically large snow dump of 20 centimeters would fall. A concerned shuttle bus driver saw the group walking down the road.
1: On the way down, they got picked up, I think, by one of the shuttle buses that came from Kamloops. And that uh, driver was heading back down to Kamloops and saw... I don't know how many, maybe 14 people walking along the road and was generous enough to pick them up because it was so cold. So minus 26, I think is what it was that, that night. Uh, and then dropped them off. And where the driver dropped them off is right at the corner of um, Fairways. And then uh, Sun Peaks Road is the only road in and out of Sun Peaks. And so right at, the, at that particular junction, there is the volunteer fire hall. There is staff accommodations that's not far from there. Ryan's house was not far from there. And then they could turn on fairways and then take an immediate right and be on Burfield.
0: While at the party, Ryan and his group hung out in the living room with Ryan sitting on the couch. And this is where details get hazy. There were possibly 30 or 40 people at the party, all divided up into different rooms, areas, and sort of divided by different friend groups. And now this may sound like a large party. It was by no means rowdy. At some point between 1.30 a.m. and 2 a.m., the group that Ryan was with started to leave the party. His high school friend and roommate James was the first to leave.
1: James left first, went home, no problems. And then his other roommates, Chris and Kristen, uh, went with another friend that did not there. I think they that friend may have lived in staff accommodations, although i'm I'm not entirely sure. Um, they all uh, left maybe a, uh, maybe ten to fifteen minutes after james or uh, James had left. And so they said to Ryan, "Hey, we're heading home. And they thought it almost looked like Ryan was uh, going to stand up to put on his coat. They thought he was following behind them and so when they went out again it was minus 26 it was freezing out and they start their walk home and there's so many cars on because of the the way that the housing is there's so many cars parked either in driveways or on the street and then you've got the fact that had record snowfall so most of the the banks after you've shoveled out your driveway or the the roads they get piled up on the side so it could be anywhere from 18 to 14 feet it's hard to see. There's no sidewalks along that road. And there is no, um, unless you have sensor lights on your house, there is no street lights there either. And so it's hard to see there. It's dark cars are there snows there. So visibility is, is just, you're not looking down the street and you can see someone coming, but they're walking. And then they, they turned around and recognized Ryan wasn't there. And in that moment, they I think they either thought that he decided to stay behind with the rest of the friends that they had, or maybe he was going to catch up. He was just lagging behind, and so they continued on their way home. And again, that that comes into play where people are like, "I can't believe that these people would leave him by himself." And I'm like, "Well, he wasn't left by himself. He and and if he was, that was a choice that he made as an almost a 21 year old uh, to be able to stay. They're not." you know, young teenagers or young children that we ask to stay together. He's an adult that is able to move out on his own, certainly eligible to vote, go to war, but yet he's not allowed to walk home by himself. And I, I do understand where people were like, like people should stick together, but I just, I don't know if that that holds any truth to it when you're in that situation. I, and even after Ryan's gone missing, I mean, we're in a small town we've been out uh, somewhere at night and I'm like, you know what? I'm just, I'm just going to walk home. Nobody thinks about walking me home. And I I wouldn't want someone to walk me home. I'm, I'm a grown adult. I don't, I don't need to be walked home. Um, and so there's always, and, and the roommates definitely got um, terrible messages. They were, they were judged by those, by that, action that they took that I I don't believe uh, I don't look at it as anything out of ordinary
0: So according to the timeline James left first, then Ryan's other roommates indicated that they were leaving Ryan appeared to move in a way that suggested that he was putting on his coat. The roommates then got outside and began walking and Ryan was not with them They turned to see if he was coming but he wasn't there, thinking perhaps that Ryan had chosen to stay the roommates continued on their way home. Other people who got off shift at the bars that night showed up at the house party around 2.30 a.m. None of them remember seeing Ryan at the house or on the streets of Sun Peaks. They also did not report seeing anything suspicious at the party, meaning like perhaps something had happened to Ryan and there was some sort of cover-up. These people literally came into the house party at 2.30 in the morning, and it was just a normal house party that was probably winding down. So this leaves a time frame of between his last sighting at the party around 1.30 or 2, and then 2.30 when the new guests arrived. Ryan Stuka has not been seen since that night. We are now going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. When we return, we will speak to Heather about the searches... investigation, and how she advocates for people who have gone missing.
1: It's that time
2: of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves,
1: you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So Ryan was there with his eight other friends that he knew, they all sat in the living room until it was time. And I think James left first. So James, I, and I couldn't even tell you how long they'd been there. Maybe they got there at about 10 after one in the morning. Uh, and we still question the timeline of whether, you know, he was there until two, whether he was there until 1.35. And maybe that doesn't make a huge difference in time. But I guess when you're coming down to those last moments, like you're really trying to, to pinpoint that timeline to see if it suggests, you know, if there's something else happening in the neighborhood, or, um, you know, if you were looking at directions where, where Ryan may have gone, um, that timeline might become important. But at the time, we, we still we, we don't know. Not sure. But we know that there was nobody else left in the house, except for the people that knew each other. And that were uh, either roommates, or like, connected some way with people at 2.30 and Ryan was not there at 2.30. So between the hours of whenever he arrived by 1.10, 1.15 and by 2.30, he was not uh, at that house anymore. And so James was the first one to leave, got up and, and said he was heading home for the night and he went home and had no issues.
2: Okay, we're back from our break. And in that clip, Heather outlined the difficulties that exist in the timeline of Ryan's disappearance. So we know that Ryan went to a silent disco with friends at Bottoms. Then they attended a house party on Burfield Drive, about a 15 to 20 minute walk from where he was living at the time. His friends left the party around 1.30 or 2 a.m. Ryan was invited to leave with them. He either chose to stay or he took a wrong turn when he left the party. There are two ways for Ryan to get home. There is the longer way using the main road called fairways, or there's a way through a dark forested area. This shorter way is not ideal at night and does not seem like the way Ryan would have chosen. Keep in mind, it was a very cold night and it was snowing heavily. Ryan failed to show up for work the next morning, Heather walks us through what she knows about Saturday and how she learned that her son was missing.
1: Saturday evening, probably around 8.30, I would say, because I think we got the notification and we're an hour ahead. So I think I got it around 9.30. And at that time, um, it was uh, his supervisor at work had texted in the morning to the roommate. And I'm not sure which one... she texted, but she's like, is Ryan coming into work? Uh, And Ryan had always been notoriously late by about five minutes for almost every shift because he would snowboard for 36 days straight. So he'd get up. As soon as that first run hit, he'd be up on his board snowboarding down and take the last run in before his shift. And so, you know, if he could make it there on time, otherwise he'd be coming in, throwing off his snowboard, putting on his work boots, taking off his helmet, and starting his shift. So he was always just a little bit late. So he was happy, and they were happy with him. But she did text him that day and said, like, it must have been more than five minutes by the time she had texted him. Because at that point, she was like, is he coming in? It's really busy, and, and we need to have him in. And they, his roommates looked around, didn't see him. I'm not sure how you would even have told, been able to tell if he had been in his room. His room, because the room was a complete disaster. He shared that with James. I don't think he'd ever made a bed. So, you know, I don't think there was any way to tell if he had slept there the night before or not. And so they looked around, they didn't, you know, that cursory glance, no, no, he's not here. And they texted uh, her back and said, yeah, he's not here. And then they didn't hear from her again. So at that point, they went on their day and didn't think anything more about it until, she texted after she had finished her work and said he didn't show up today. And at that point, they knew. And so when we talk again about, um, you know, what my thoughts and what I, how I would characterize Ryan, uh, you know, I would have said that was completely out of the ordinary. His roommates had only known him for two and a half months knew that that was out of the ordinary for him, that he just wouldn't do that. And they never believed um, that he had, you know, gone to somebody's house after the party that maybe he had, uh, you know, met a girl or, you know, decided to to hang out and his phone died and he was passed out. It was something I think I wanted to believe because it was just a, a neat package. You can put everything in and say, this is what's happened. We're going to go up to Sun Peaks and we're going to, we're going to find Ryan because this is what's happened. It was just, a, it was such an easy way to, to explain what had happened, but I, you know, we never believed it. It's just something you hang on to. And those roommates never believed it, which is why they started calling. Um, they did a post asking if anybody had seen him. Then um, they went to the the house or they called the house. They called around to all their friends and nobody had seen him. And then they ended up calling, I think, down to hospitals, uh, down in Kamloops. And at that point, I think the maybe somebody at the hospital said, there's nobody here you might want to think about calling the RCMP, which is what they did, and then they texted uh, Scott and I.
0: In that moment, everything changed for the Stuka family. They made the nine-hour journey from Beaumont, Alberta, to what would seem like a world away in the mountains of British Columbia. They left their community of friends and family and were dropped into a world of unknowns. But support came to them from all around, In the early days of the search, the residents of Sun Peaks and the surrounding areas showed up to search for Ryan. The RCMP and local search and rescue set up a command post at the ski patrol hut. Based on Ryan's last known whereabouts, searchers canvassed the area. This was not an easy task. The mountain had recorded a record snowfall that year. The sides of some of the roads were bordered with massive 14-foot snowbanks, the temperatures were dangerously low, and daylight hours were limited to just 10. With no new information to go on, the official search for Ryan ended almost as quickly as it began. Heather still remembers the surreal moment when she was told that the search was over.
1: I, I remember them coming on, on the Sunday night. So we had been at the command center all day, And finally it was dark and, um, there was, you know, all you're doing is, is sitting at that point. And so, uh, we decided to go back, they were wrapping things up and they, they said they would come and talk to us. And as it happened, I had five of my, of our friends drive through the day to come up, even though I said, don't come, we don't need you. Um, yeah ironic now that they turned out to be our biggest support uh, system. But I'm like, what, what are they going to do? Like, we're going to go up and either he's going to be found and we're bringing him home or he's going to be found and we'll have to wait and then we'll, ha- we'll bring him home. But either way, you know, there's nothing more than anybody could do for us. Uh, and, and that's what our thought process is. Uh, and yet they ignored us and they, they came up and they arrived within, I would say, about 15 minutes of one another. So they came right to our room knocked on the room and I was just surprised to see them standing there and they came in and then probably not long after that we had the RCMP constable that had been sort of their liaison for the day for us and then the search and rescue um manager for for Kamloops one of them anyways came in and they went through the whole thing about not being able to find him and uh and then, you know, I don't even remember, I think, even at the words at that time, although my friends did. Uh, and I, I did process it and I, I did know it later, but I just remember them saying, you know, we've done all the tasks that have been, that have been given to us by the RCMP. And until um, there's new information that would lead us to a different um, placement of where, where he was last seen. Um, or there's an environmental change, like the snow melting, or something. We won't be back. And I just remember going, okay, so I'll see you tomorrow. Because I thought, well, okay, they're not going to be thirty volunteers out there from the search and rescue, but there's going to be somebody. Um, and and even more so, I think at that time we had them talking about, well, we didn't find them. And I thought, okay, well, yes, I, you know, that's that's sort of a redundant question like you know yeah you, you didn't find him like why would you be here unless you had and they had um said you know but it's but he could still be in an outbuilding like there was so much construction going on up there he could be in a construction site one of the houses that were that is being built there's there's outbuildings there's sheds you know there are um houses that aren't being um occupied at the time. So he could be in any one of those. And then you have hope because, you know, the hope is dimming by that day. I mean, there's no, and and they were very honest in the very beginning when they said, based on the amount that he's, he looked like he consumed in terms of alcohol and the conditions and the amount of time he's been, he's been out there, the chances of us finding him alive are slim to none. And Scott and I appreciated that honesty um, because then you're able to start processing what that looks like for the rest of the day. Even as horrifying as that is, logically you're able to start processing that. And so at that at that evening, they come in and they're like, "But you know, he could be here, and um, but he could be in an outbuilding. And I'm thinking, okay, well, if he's in an outbuilding, a shed or a, a house or whatever, like he might not be doing well." But there's a chance that he could still be alive, like maybe there's a candle there, maybe there's some tarps, maybe there's, you know, um, a blanket or something along that lines. And so maybe his phone, he's got locked in, you know, you're just you're grasping on to anything, because they gave me that they gave me that window of hope that there's something that that could happen. And in the same breath, they then say, we're not coming back until Like, we'll put it out to the media and let the media tell people to look in their outbuildings and their sheds, but we won't be coming back. And to me, it was just like this death sentence being told that there is hope, but there's nothing more that we're going to be able to do. And so I don't know if I fully processed that night, but it was shockingly uh, made clear to me the next morning when we walked into that command center and it was the ski patrol and everything had been turned back into exactly what it was uh, before we had even arrived. So it was a working ski patrol, and they looked at us in as much shock as we looked at them. And they're like, "I'm like, isn't this where we're gonna start like the search?" And they're like, "Absolutely, Mr. Stuka. We'll 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 get that." And they they did set me up um, to be able to to work from that as a command center, but they were not prepared for us. And there was nobody there searching. And I think in that moment, that's when you put your grief aside and say, okay, so now we don't even have, we can't even rely on that. We can't sink into that. We can't go into the fetal position because if Ryan is going to be found, it will be through our efforts and our efforts alone. And I think that, um, you know, I will always look back at, at that and that became the defining moment for us. on on how we were processing it, and then everything that came after was from that defining moment.
2: Heather stood in the ski patrol office that morning, an office that she thought would be teeming with people there to help her. There were no RCMP members, no search and rescue professionals. There was just Heather and her husband, Scott, as well as a handful of friends. And in that moment, they decided they were not leaving that mountain.
1: And, and I remember the constable saying uh, to us, like, on your way out of town tomorrow or the next day, stop by and we'll let you know what, what we'll do next, what the next steps are. And I'm thinking, like, go home tomorrow. But, but you haven't found him. And I, I just, you know, I look at this baby boy that, you know, I'm the first person that looked at him when he was born and, um, that held him that, you know, Scott and I were there. He, I mean, we, he was this child that we loved that, that I gave birth to. And you're telling me that you want someone to find him like he's trash, like just discarded wherever that may be, however that may look. And you want someone to stumble over him when the snow melts. Like I just, I couldn't imagine that anybody, And and I look back and I'm thinking if that was your child, what would you want to have done what would you pay to have done what would you need to have done and then tell me what that is and i will do it myself we will do whatever is necessary to bring our son home but but if that was your child would you just tell or if if that was your partner's you know your, your anybody that was in your rcmp or anybody in the search and rescue would you go and say well you know, we might have better luck when the snow melts. We're just going to wait it out for the next couple months. I just couldn't imagine that being a relevant conversation. That would be one that anybody would have. This is not To me, that just, it was mind-blowing, I think.
0: Pragmatically, Heather understood that the system in place and the circumstances surrounding Ryan's disappearance would make it challenging to keep a full-time team searching on the mountain. She knows that the authorities involved wanted to find Ryan. But with no clues and bad weather, the official search was unfortunately called off.
1: When I looked into the into the SARS manager at that time, I I know he was devastated. I I will never take that away from him. I know that he uh, had children and he was a father. And for all the volunteers that we have that we have met, and certainly the RCMP. Um, detachments and and the officers and that we have gotten to know over the last four and a half years, I know that it hits home for them. I don't believe my, my son is just another person that is missing. Um, Logically. Yes. I can understand that you can't have somebody there um, as a liaison from the beginning and have a search party out every single day until every loved one was found. I wish that was the case. Logically, I know that not to be true, but I think in that moment, um, without having a chance to process it, it was a very emotional, raw moment for me.
0: In the early stages of the search for Ryan, knowing that they were on their own, Heather and Scott remained on Sun Peaks from February 19th, 2018 until June 19th, 2018, searching every single day. At times, their search teams ballooned to over 1,000 people, mostly local volunteers. Moved by Ryan's disappearance and inspired by Heather and Scott's resolve, people opened their hearts, their homes, and their kitchens to the searchers.
2: In 2018, the snow stayed in Sun Peaks longer than normal. There were generous snowfalls in April of that year. After the snowmelt, the new challenge that presents is the growth of the underbrush. The underbrush on the mountain can be meters tall. Wiry, spinning vines that resemble giant razor wire grow among the alpine trees and steep terrain. There's only a small window of time between the snowmelt and the spring growth. And in the fall, there's only a small window between the dying brush and the first snowfall. This is incredibly limiting for search teams. The summer months in the interior, even on the mountains, can be filled with incredibly high temperatures. This also makes searching difficult. Despite all of the efforts, no evidence of Ryan has ever been uncovered. No hat, no jacket, no cell phone, nothing. When the official search for Ryan ended, Heather and family began their own searches that continue to this day. We asked Heather about the early search efforts compared to current searches.
1: Well, we stayed up in Sun Peaks. When we got the notification, we arrived on the 18th, that Sunday morning. And we did not leave Sun Peaks uh, until J- uh, June 19th. So I came home for a couple of days when it was my oldest daughter, uh, Jordan's 18th birthday. And Scott came a couple of days after. So we were gone from Sun Peaks for maybe two days uh, in total that one of us wouldn't have been there. But other than that, we searched every single day. There was not one day that we took off Uh, Sunday to Sunday. We searched uh, from the time that the the sun came up until the sun set and we searched every single day. Uh, Usually we, we, I mean, over that time in that four and a half months that we were up there, we probably had about 1200 volunteers that came up and uh, majority of them came up more than once. So we had, we had, record numbers of people searching throughout there except of course for the first two and a half months it snowed almost daily so every amount of search that you you would go through and all the efforts that would be put into the search i could go by there the next morning and it looked like never been touched so we we definitely had issues certainly in terms of how we were searching how we were conducting the searches and we had to learn and research that along the way so that was a continuous process for that and it still is now to this day where we've sort of taken the ideology of uh, searching of doing a search and rescue sort of grid-like search now we do more tactical and and that becomes more important as the years go by but then after that we came up after we left Sun Peaks we then came up Every single month for a week, either Scott would come up or I would come up or the two of us would come up together until COVID hit. Um, And then uh, we weren't able to travel. And so that took some I think I I knew we were going to have to transition. I knew it wasn't going to be feasible for us to be able to do financially for sure. Um, we weren't going to be able to come up at the same um, frequency. But you never want to be that. You, neither one of us wanted to be that one that said, we, we just can't do it. So we I don't know what transition was going to look like for us. But COVID sort of took that away. And with that, took the guilt. Um, because I think that uh, at the time, I couldn't imagine just doing anything. I think most people, when they they suffer the loss of a loved one, there is that that guilt. You go through those those steps of grief we haven't even got there yet. So we still sit in that where you feel this enormous amount of guilt for even doing the frivolous, the, the, the normal routine things because you think how could you do these things when your son is still cert or still waiting for you to find him now, logically, I know that that's probably not the case, but emotionally it's, it's hard to, to get over that or to, to process that. So, covid made it easier for us to transition to what it looks like now and so there's certain times of the month or year that we're able to go up april to june are great times for us to go up but it's hard to tell and that even that changes because you've got maybe a week before the snow melts and the underbrush becomes so full uh, that makes uh, searching near impossible And we're never sure when that timeline is going to be. This year, we went up in April and there's still so much snow on the ground. uh, It was almost like they could have kept their uh, ski resort running much later in the year just because of the amount of snow. And then in October, we'll go up again. But then again, you're hoping that no snow falls between when you're able to come. So we try to go up now uh, during those months uh, and to to see um, what we can do. Uh, in terms of, of searching the areas.
2: So for the Stuka family and their community, the searches for Ryan have become a part of their family's fabric and yearly schedules. In May of 2021, RCMP and Search and Rescue returned to Sunpeaks for their first official search since 2018. Again, no traces of Ryan were found. But what about the official investigation into Ryan's disappearance?
0: When we say that this case is the perfect storm, we are not speaking in hyperbole. Several things were playing against the investigation from the start. As we said, there was record snowfall and low temperatures. This is the side of a mountain we're dealing with. Another frustrating issue was the security cameras. Sun Peaks had recently had a rash of thefts. People driving up from around the city of Kamloops had been breaking into cars and homes. In order to mitigate this, cameras were set up at the only entrance and exit to the village. However, those cameras were not working the night Ryan went missing. They had apparently not been working for quite some time. There was also a camera at a local general store, and those cameras were not working that night. So if Ryan had left the village in a vehicle or if any vehicle had driven out of Sun Peaks at around 2 a.m. that night, it was not captured on any cameras. Early media releases of Ryan's details were also released improperly. They had him listed as significantly shorter than he is, so people were being asked to recall if they had seen the wrong person that night. Once this was corrected, another issue presented itself. The
2: roads around Sun Peaks do not have proper overhead lighting, So driving along the roads at 2 a.m. is a bad setting for people to remember what, if anything, they saw. However, one witness did come forward. A person driving their car believes they saw a person who fits Ryan's description walking towards the village at around 2 a.m. The puzzling aspect of this sighting is why Ryan would be heading into the village. The shops and bars were closed and the village was in the opposite direction from his home. While the witness did the right thing by reporting what they saw, it is possible that the person they saw was not Ryan. There are many young men with athletic builds in winter clothing walking around Sun Peaks, albeit perhaps not at 2 a.m. on a stormy night. Again, without any CCTV footage, there's no way of knowing who this person was. The official investigation into Ryan has him classified as a missing person. Language is very important in these cases. The RCMP have not classified him as missing due to foul play or suspicious circumstances. They have no evidence that points that way. So since the beginning and up until today, Ryan is simply missing.
1: They review it. It goes through a review process. And we've had, oh, I want to say more than 30 officers have looked at it at any given time. They'll get this huge file. They'll look through it anybody that's new coming to the case they have them read through the file to see if they can pick up something that maybe someone who's looked at it you know constantly um may may overlook something and so they they have fresh eyes that look on it consistently you know they they still receive tips if we receive something we send it to them like it's i it's not a cold case but there there's no new information that seems to be trickling in
0: at this point in time. Over the years since Ryan went missing, the internet has exploded with theories. Some folks talk with zero evidence of a drug debt. Others talk, again, without evidence of kidnapping. Some lay blame on the partygoers, saying that perhaps Ryan overdosed and that then there was this giant conspiracy to cover up his death. There are also those who posit that Ryan was disoriented and walked into the deep snow and brush of the mountain terrain under the cloak of night. What we do know is that Ryan took a little MDMA and went out drinking in a resort town on a Friday night. He went to a relatively tame after-party, and then between 1.30 and 2.30 a.m., he left the party. And this is where the trail goes cold. Human minds want to categorize mysteries and solve puzzles. At this point, without new evidence, the speculation and theories are just that. The reality is, is that no one can say for certain what happened to Ryan. In the true crime world, we often hear the expression, someone knows something. With this well-intentioned expression, we are saying that someone has done something horrible and is choosing not to speak. But Heather points out that there are times when no one knows anything.
1: But I've had loved ones, friends, complete strangers come up and go, you know, somebody knows something. I recognize that somebody absolutely can know something. There is only two buckets that Ryan's disappearance can fall into. Someone knows something, no one knows anything. Any scenario that you throw at me will go into either one of those buckets. Even if you included alien abduction, it is going to go in one of those buckets. Either someone knows something or no one knows anything. And so when someone said, well, you know, someone knows something for sure, Heather, someone knows something. What you're asking me is to wake up every single day and go, oh, someone's brutalized my, my son. Someone's murdered my son. Maybe someone's kept my son Uh, hostage, or whatever those scenarios are, that's what you want me to get up and every day go through the rest of my life believing.
2: Many accusations have been made online about the partygoers and Ryan's roommates. Many of them have received threats and nasty messages from strangers, but their stories have never changed. We know that some of these people continue to live with the trauma associated with that night.
1: Most people, unaware of our family unaware of ryan unaware of sun peaks the location sun peaks the community and the people within it if you've never been there and you don't know the the people that are a part of it it is probably easy to on the outside looking in to make sort of rash judgments or speculate and so clearly everybody wants to find the bad guy uh in this uh you know you're looking for your villain and uh, certainly the party goers, uh, the people there, the roommates, uh, received their share of it. And yet they've been completely um, open from the very beginning. So they've been um, investigated. They've been um, interviewed more than once. And no one has ever said, like, I'm not comfortable with this or I don't want to help the the stories have never changed from, from what they've said, and no other additional information has come from that. So we don't even have second, third, or fourth-hand information where you would think that rumors would get someone, you know, goes out and lets something slip and somebody else will say something. We don't even really have that from the people that were there. So the stories have ma- remained consistent. They have been open with uh, the RCMP going and having conversations. They even did that night, like when when Ryan was reported missing, the RCMP showed up and they were more than willing to have them come into the house, take a look around. Uh, no one's ever shied away from that, uh, despite the fact that, you know, most people want want to cast them in a, a negative light.
0: Not one to sit and do nothing, Heather has channeled her energy into a nonprofit called the Freebird Project. Heather teamed up with the family of another missing person named Dominic Niren, who along with his girlfriend went missing after a small plane accident. Together the two families have created an organization that supports the families of missing people. This can involve searches, navigating media, setting up Facebook groups and emotional support. Both families bring a high degree of skill to both ground and aerial searches. They also have access to drone services like Wings of Mercy, as well as search dogs and other teams. Like many nonprofits, they rely on donations of both people power and finances. They also thrive based on word of mouth. We will link their foundation in our show notes. Heather has also written a book that chronicles her time on the mountain searching for Ryan. We asked her what our listeners can expect from the book.
1: So it's not, I don't think it. it's definitely a book on ambiguous loss. It really is um, just talking about uh, Ryan. And so it really captures one year. It's the very first year from we, we, I talk a little bit about what our family was like before and then the notification and, and the, the step-by-step until we get up to Sun Peaks. Um, I've included the majority of the posts when I was up, because I wrote a post every single day from, February nineteenth until July second, so most of them are included in there. And I've expanded on on some of them. were, uh, if the post was self explanatory, I talked about a memory of Ryan, then the memory stands as it is. Um, if there was something that we talked about, the dogs coming up and searching, I will tell you a little bit about what my what was what my thought process was. So it's really just almost like real time that sort of synopsis of what I was going through whether it was fear, whether it was, you know, some joy of of remembering him, um, the logistics of searching, and then us transitioning back home, coming back after that July or June 19th and having to sort of move into what people said would be our new normal. And yet that still is not our, maybe now after four years, but at the time that new normal didn't really feel like it was going to be a new normal. We thought any day it's going like, we're going to have closure and then we'll, we'll have to go into a new normal. So it's just really that first year um, letting people know how we processed this grief
2: At True North True Crime, we are lucky to have very engaged listeners. We asked Heather how our listeners can help. Her answer pointed to the idea of community engagement at the local level.
1: You know, I... Certainly, Ryan's story. We have been lucky—the awareness and and the engagement from our members. We have over thirty three thousand uh, members on Ryan's Facebook site. So that's that's been incredible. And we still have new people joining every single day to to kind of find out more. So Ryan's awareness is is top of mind. And so when we look at Um, you know certainly join Ryan's Facebook site certainly look at ways if you're in the Kamloops uh, area Sun Peaks and if you're going up and if you want to join a search that would be great sharing it that's always uh, great to be able to do Uh, but I also look at Ryan is not the first loved one to go missing. And he certainly won't be the last, which is unfortunate. Um, But I ask people, challenge them to take a look at what's happening in your community. Because for us, One of the biggest support systems we did have came from not only our community here in Beaumont, but also in Sun Peaks in the Kamloops area. And so that community support, those volunteers that came that shared that, you know, if they couldn't um, search that they brought food or snack items, hot water uh, for tea or whatever it was they would bring up those sort of things they would share if they were able to donate to, to um, the search, that was fantastic. So there was things that we were, we really counted on our community to provide support. And I ask people to look around in your community. If there's people that are missing that don't have the resources that we have that don't have the network that we have, they could use people. They could, one of your biggest, I have lots of fears, you know, Obviously, you're reconciling yourself to the fact that I may never find Ryan. That is a huge fear of mine. And, and yet I've, I've, we've had to come to terms with that. You know, I have to fear all the things that could have happened to Ryan that, that, that I don't know if it's true or not. But those are things I can't control. The one thing that I can control that fears me, that I fear the most, I think, is the fact that he will be forgotten that, you know, long after Scott and I have left um, this earth that Ryan's name will be nothing but, um, you know, whispers uh, in someone's ear uh, or a a dream that will come. And so the book is one way for me to preserve that legacy, but also um, knowing that there's such engaged people that continue to go out, even if something were to happen to Scott, that my son won't be forgotten. And I can only imagine all those families all across Canada all into the United States worldwide that have that same fear that can do nothing to help move their child's or their loved one's story further because they haven't gotten the same engagement from, from the community. And so I think I challenge people if you have the opportunity to, to join groups in, in your, um, in your community, in your neighborhood uh, that you, you do so so that those families know that their loved one has not been forgotten.
0: Heather just did a perfect job of suggesting that we all look out for ways we can help in our own communities. There may come a time when a family drives nine hours into your community to find their loved one. They will feel alone. They won't know what to do or where to go. And perhaps this is where we can all step in. Heather Stuka's book is currently titled Missing From Me, it is scheduled for either a December release this year or a February release in 2023 to coincide with the five year anniversary of Ryan's disappearance. When we find out more details on the release of the book, we will post that on our social media.
2: 20 year old Ryan Stuka was last seen on February 17th, 2018, at a house party on Burfield Drive in the ski resort of Sun Peaks just outside of Kamloops, British Columbia. At the time of his disappearance, Ryan is described as six feet tall with a lean build. He has blonde hair, brown eyes, and weighs roughly 180 pounds. He was last seen wearing dark jeans, a gray and white shirt, blue jacket, and a burgundy ball cap.
0: There is a $15,000 reward for any information leading to Ryan's whereabouts. If you have any information, please contact the Kamloops RCMP or Crime Stoppers. We would like to thank Heather and the Stuka family for sharing their knowledge with us and trusting us with Ryan's story. And as always, we want to thank you for joining us for this episode. We will be back soon with another episode of True Nor True Crime. So until then, stay safe, everyone.
2: Stay safe.